Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. The DBN Network. Browns fans talking to Browns fans. Well, greetings and thank you for joining us once again. My name is Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It on the DBN Network. Haven't spoken with you for a while, and you know it's the off season. That's that's bound to happen, but. Uh, hopefully going to get back on more of a regular string of talking to y'all uh, on a regular basis. And today, I'm uh, not. Uh, it's not just me. We have, uh, from parts unknown Eastern Europe, our friend that um, joins us every day to remind us how right he is about everything there is. <laughs> <laughs> from Hungary, the one and only Fortho. What's up, man? Hey, how you doing? It's, yeah, it's good to talk to you. It's been a minute. Uh, yeah, uh, we, I think we haven't talked since the draft. I think that it, was the last time. Really? Has it been that long? Because, I mean, that's a year ago. Is that the yeah. last time you've been? Well, well, here we are. I mean, it's uh, it's the most important draft of our lifetimes, 2018. And just like last year, the future of the franchise hinges on our making the right decision, which is very, very, very likely not to happen. But in the process <laughs> of, of that all unfolding the way it likely will, um, we are in the midst of today, actually, as of this uh, voicing of, of what you are hearing, the uh nfl combine is in what was it like day three or four now and it's actually uh-huh. in the phase of, ac- of things actually happening and uh drills occurring and uh, most notably probably i mean the 40 yard dash for skill position players is pretty uh important for today it's wide receivers and so some some interesting uh notes from some <clears throat> um from some of the players i was like for instance i was interested in we're gonna get into all this uh as we go along but um it's you know this is where i think um more than <clears throat> uh more than it really definitively says anything about candidates, it really kind of more confirms or doesn't confirm things that you assume based on the study that you've done up to this point. Like, I don't think that your evaluation on a player starts uh, with the NFL Combine. I think, if anything, it's a good supplement, but an important supplement to you know the, the scouting process for determining these uh, players. What do you think about the, the importance of this and, and the priority uh, of its importance? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it, it differs for for the different positions. Uh, I think it's very important for uh, edge players. Uh, the uh, some of the drills and their results are are, are fairly consistent with uh, high performance in the NFL. So, for that position, or or for like cornerbacks and so on. That's important, but otherwise it's just 
something to watch until we get to the actual thing until we get to draft the players because you know tape comes first yeah i would agree with that i think that you what what they do on the field against competition you know especially as the stakes get high makes more that matters more to me than what they do and what's uh, been popularly referred to as the underwear olympics but at, at the same time the it depends on you know the scouting process for college players is i mean you talk about differing from position to position that's true in terms of just the quality of the tape that you can get on certain candidates like for example uh, uh defensive back that's not one oftentimes where you can get in many ways good tape because really what you're just getting is the broadcast film from like the television broadcasts so that's that is what you're watching um and it's usually from that view and those you know if you ever uh you know pay attention to the the uh, direction of a camera view as a play is unfolding it's not on the secondary it's on the where the ball is going you know and so you see what a defensive back does for example um after the ball is thrown in his direction but you don't you have no idea what happened up to that point unless you have the all 22 tape which is like impossible to come by uh for most college prospects so at that point you know it, it's it's probably more important from the standpoint of of those types of players because you get some definitive actual measurements that okay you can say this definitively that the guy you know can run a 4-4 or, or whatever you know it is whatever metric that you're looking at uh, as far as that goes uh, but ge- but generally speaking i agree that the tape and what you do in live competition and how that which is which you know kind of brings us to the uh the, the top um, candidates going into this. I think that a one player that has been at the top of a lot of people's boards as the the top player in the draft and has done himself nothing but, you know, a good service so far is um and and, and he certainly is a guy that gets mixed reviews, uh, you know, around these parts is Saquon Barkley. And I'm right. I'm not one to hold the position of him being the best player, but the dude just came in and put up 29 reps and ran a 4-4 at his speed or at his size with his speed his moves um i you know i've been very i I started off really liking him then i watched him and i got very critical of a lot of aspects of his game but i'm kind of back up to thinking that he may actually be worth it at number four uh well i'm 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 not really for uh drafting any running backs that high which i can understand especially especially after uh uh, one of the guys at at the uh, I think it's the uh, uh, SBN site for uh, for the Seahawks. I think it's called Field Girls or whatever. Yeah, that's the SBN site. They did an article on how misleading the success of uh, Zeke and Fournette uh, seems and how it kind of impact uh, or impacted how people view uh, now uh, how, how, how should I express it so so how how people view the impact of running backs on team success and they and it kind of became overinflated and I think we can see that uh, on DBN too so I'm not I'm not really high on drafting a quarterback or i mean a running back that high we we especially in this class where we have so many good players uh it's it's enough to to draft someone in the second round who who won't see the ball in, in the second half for us so 
Um, and there are uh, um, quite a few, as you mentioned, um, re- not just good but very good running back prospects that could potentially be available at 33 or 35, like your guy Darius Geis uh, or the um, uh, running back out of Ronald, uh, USC, Ronald Jones, who out- had kind of a disappointing 40 times, so that may have dropped his stock a little bit, which means he might be available later on. Um, uh, there's... Uh... R- Rashawn Penny out of us, and that it's, uh, who actually I kind of... <clears throat> In looking at the uh, number of yards, I saw a really interesting stat of the number of yards uh, after contact, and Penny led the nation with like 3.36, and Barkley was at zero point something, which I think has a lot to do with the fact that Barkley is I – mean, to address your point, well, what you said without uh, going on to these uh, prospects specifically, I think that you're right. I think that um, if, if – if um if I if I get what you're saying correctly is that it kind of overinflates the uh, value of uh, what that position can do to your offense because those teams were kind of set up already in different ways. I think, I, 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 you, you know, you know, uh, Fournette and Zeke were seen as elite prospects, and when they went to their respective teams after draft. Uh, it seemed that uh, their teams got better because of them, and when uh, the article broke down the stats, that was just not the case. Uh, plus, uh, their rushing attack was just as good, if not better, when they were not in the game. So, um, what you know, I, th- I think I think this kind of overinflated view is only concerning uh, elite running backs or seemingly elite running backs kind of like uh, Barkley or I mean we have we have a lot this year but especially Barkley this year Be, uh, some people see him as sort of a savior someone who you can base your um, entire offense on and that's just that's just not not how the NFL works so Taking uh, Barkley with either the first or the fourth pick would be a gigantic mistake, at least in my opinion. Well, with the first, I I would be quite furious if we did anything other but draft. I, I mean, we'll get into the quarterbacks later, you know, as we go along. That I'm all all about uh, Baker Mayfield, but I'm saying even if it's not him, it better damn well be somebody. Even if it's, I really hope not, Josh Allen, uh, whoever it is. I, you know, it better be a quarterback at number one. That, so that's – I don't care who you would not draft or, or who you would draft in the place of a quarterback. It's the wrong move. As far as number four, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying to a large extent because for the most part, the, the salary cap era has kind of shown that the running back position is somewhat fungible because guys really only play for, you know, five, six years before they start getting to 27, 28, 29 years old and the wheels start to uh, start churning a little bit slower. And the, the uh, experience that they have at the position does not seem in any way to mitigate the fact that they have lost some explosiveness and are thus and because they are also they've been in the league for a while and amassed some success they command uh, a larger contract in the old days you know uh, star running backs had you know huge contracts um and so instead of teams dealing with that they just get younger options for cheaper that give you about the same amount of performance on balance and this is the point is that the exceptions to this you know really really good running backs are a different, and you know, you mentioned Zeke and um, Leonard Fournette, but I want to, you know, a, a guy that 
um, sticks out in my mind is Jamal Lewis. When he was drafted, he was drafted, I think, number five overall in 2000. And Baltimore had, a, a, you know, they had a good defense, obviously, and they added a couple of key pieces to it um, in that draft as well. But <clears throat> that team was different when Jamal Lewis was the running back as a rookie. You know, before he had any of the injuries, he had this ex- this combination of explosiveness and power that was just, I mean, it, it I mean, it was impressive. And he, I mean, he had a you know really good career. But after uh, that season, and he had the uh, I think the two thousand uh, yard season, and you know he got the injury, went to jail, and all that. And he was still good, but he just was not in his early. And that's what I'm saying. As a rookie, he had such an impact on their success that season. And I'm not saying that a guy like Barkley is in any way similar to Jamal Lewis uh, as a rookie, but I'm saying that. He, I mean, my problem with with uh, Barkley is the the jumping over people and the running backwards. Outside of that, <clears throat> I don't really see that big of a problem with a lot of of what he does. And these numbers at the combine, I mean, they really make him a physical freak and a guy that could have that sort of home run ability if he really is as good as he appears and as the numbers uh, look. I'm not. I am generally on board with you that you know running backs the the the, posi- the, the value of the position um, against what it is you'd be giving up because then the other the other side of this is that drafting a guy like Barkley at number four does mean that you give up the ability and this is something that is you know worth talking about the ability to trade the number four down even if you're only trading down to like the Jets at number six to get a number a first rounder in next year's draft. You know, the idea of constantly building draft picks into the future so as to mitigate the ones that you miss on. Because I don't, get, I don't care who it is, guys are going to miss on draft picks. So if you have more of them, that was the whole Sashi method. And, and you know, you don't know if we're going to continue with that or not. Um, but if you take a guy, if, if that probably means that you're not going to get um, Barkley. But that also probably means that, you know, to your point, that another team takes him. And then a player like Chubb or uh, Minka you know, slip down to six. So I guess that's, um, you know, a question to ask. If you're sitting at four, would you rather – who would you draft or would you uh, find it to be – like, would you take that pick straight up if the Jets would give us their number six this year and their number one next year for the number four or draft the player instead? Uh, I'll take the trade. I would too. Because you're going to get yeah. at that point, you're either going to get Minka or you're going to get Chubb. My, my first uh, choice is Chubb. Or you're going to get Minka, or or I mean, as I'm saying, I I, I am at this point m- leaning much more towards I would be okay with drafting Barkley um, in in a top ten. I'd feel a lot better about it if we got if we had gotten it if we get a number one for next year. But yeah, you know, I mean, if if the team decides that's the way they want to go, you know, I, I've I've never hated it. As soon as they draft him, I'm I'm sort of. Yeah, we're, we're not we're all not all on board, but I'm but I'm rooting for the kid as soon as we draft him. But that's just not the thing that I would do. If the Jets would want to uh, go up to four and would be willing to give up their uh, well, I guess they would have to give up their uh, first pick next year because Denver's uh, going to take whoever they don't take at five. Yeah, so um, I mean that's that's just fantastic. That's just a fantastic <laughs> deal for us. Yeah. So I, I I would I would take it immediately, and uh, I mean I wouldn't draft 
Chubb or or Fitzpatrick, but um, that's oh, you, that's you, that's, you. that's that's a more controversial opinion of mine. I, I, I'm I'm very high on on James Derwin James out of uh, Florida State. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah, I, I would say that that's definitely controversial, and I think that uh, the combine is going to to kind of help paint the picture on that um question as well i that's i've you know i'm i'm weird in the in the conversation about james because most people that seem to rake are either like you where they think that he's you know the the most imposing physical specimen that's ever played the safety position or me or i mean not me but uh, other people like a lot of people on dbn that think that he is uh, a lesser version of jabril peppers and i'm and i'm i look at the tape and i'm like all right i can kind of see where he's like maybe out of position over here, but then I also see where he's got this really good you know physical ability. This so I mean I I can see where he's a really talented prospect, but I just haven't seen enough watching you know the tape that I've watched on him to be able to to say for sure. So I'm kind of like all right, I'm I'm kind of undecided, but nobody else, everybody else seems to have a hard 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 line on him one way or the other, and you're, you're and you fall in that category. Yes, I, I guess it's true. I mean. Um... So I guess why uh, is that? I mean, like, what is it about him that you see that you ma- that you makes you think that he'd be worth the six overall? In the, at the at that, I mean, let's say that it goes down like that, where uh, the first pick we take Bayfield at number one overall, and then the Giants take Rosen. Now the the Colts are sitting there at three, and they take. Let's say that uh, they take Barkley, and then um, we're sitting there at four. Actually, no. Let's say that the Colts trade their pick to um, you know Arizona, and they take. Uh, Rosen and we're sitting there at four and maybe it is that the Jets uh, really really want Lamar Jackson and and the Broncos are sitting there at five they may also want him actually this would be the perfect scenario because we could trade it to the Jets they uh, uh, move up and take Jackson and that would leave Josh Allen for the Broncos which would be perfect. I mean, that would just be the perfect like way for that whole thing to play out. <laughs> and then we would be sitting there with our. We could then take any. So okay. So that that scenario plays out. We trade down. Uh, the Colts trade down, and the top five picks are all quarterback. And I'm not looking. That is not an an unrealistic scenario because it, it, it could happen. It could ha- because these. This is a. This may be 1983 as far as the the caliber of quarterbacks that are in this draft and in free agency, which we'll talk about in a little bit too. But the it, it could very well go down like that because all of those teams need quarterbacks. So if it, if it did, if it were to go down uh, like that, we're sitting there at number six. We have our pick of. And we picked our quarterback, and we picked the best quarterback in the draft, by the way. And we then are able to pick. Any position player in the entire draft, you're going to pick Derwin James. Um, yes, although I, I think I would wait to see if he is as good uh, at the combine as I think he is going to be. Okay, so that's, that's kind of where uh, I'm I think at. tomorrow. So he's kind of an exception to what I was talking about earlier, too, because he is one because of the position that he plays that I, I need. The combine is going to tell a lot of the story for me on him. And if he really is this physical freak um, that he looks like he is, I'm not. See- I personally haven't seen enough deficiencies to where it looks like okay, we just you know it's we got to pass up on this guy. So you know that that's going to tell the story about uh, for me anyway about Derwin James. But <clears throat> that's interesting because there it's if I'm sitting there in that same position at number six, and we have our pick of absolutely anybody, I think I'm really still. <sighs> 
it's it's I, I think I still got to go with Bradley Chubb because I just think that the the ability to put three I would consider because I think that uh, Emmanuel Agba is going is to be a very good player and is and was a very good player for us last year and the combination of him and Garrett is very very so you know the, the question that people or the problem that people have with this selection is that well it's a luxury pick but I look at it like both of those guys were also hurt for portions of last year and also the you know you can't have too many good pass rushers and so if if you got you have a guy I and mean, the way that I mean honestly I mean the, the the cap space that we have and the way that we can structure this and who knows how Meathead is going to handle all this as we move forward but the way that we have things set up right now we we would be able to re-sign anybody that we wanted to and there's plenty enough you know pass rushing opportunities you know it's not like our defense is going to be getting off the field so much that these guys aren't going to have a shot a shot at rushing the passer so they're going to get their reps they're going to get a shot to play um and if they are effectively able to you know get to the passer consistently especially because their legs are fresher in the fourth quarter because they're not on the field as many snaps then I think that it's more than a worthwhile selection. And because we do have, I mean, here's, it's a luxury pick. We have the luxury of having, you know, these top picks, especially if we're able to extract one uh, from the Jets. So that's, I mean, that, that's my opinion is where I would go with it. But I would, I would have a, I, I'm having a harder time after watching Barkley at this combine because I honestly would not feel bad about uh, him being the other selection. But the other player, of course, that we've talked about is Mika Fitzpatrick, who I think is just a tremendous prospect the issue with him is not knowing where he's really going to play in the NFL because he predominantly played as a slot corner for most of his time at A&M but he also or at A&M at uh, Alabama but he also played on the outside and he also played um at safety at uh, and and thus you know, he probably could play all of those at the NFL, and uh, Coach Jackson was talking about how he definitely could play all of those at the NFL. But I, I, I kind of have I'm, – I'm a little – well, I know that we just generally need secondary help. Um, I just don't know that a guy that just that barely played safety in college is the guy – because that's really where we need the help. And I'm also not convinced that that's the direction that we're going to go in, that – that you know Greg Triple G is not going to you know want to continue playing Peppers at the Angel but you know we'll <laughs> you know we'll see how that all pans out so I mean when to me and to me those are the top uh three options I guess if James blows the doors off um the, you know the combine I, I I I I'd have to consider him up there as well but you know right now that's um my top three players you um oh here comes uh Mayfield right now is uh, about ready to throw at the combine so this is this is this is of interest to me. Uh, what's wrong with uh, either Chubb and or Minka with uh, the six overall if they don't have the same opinion of James that you do? Um, you know, I I, I, don't, I wouldn't have a problem with uh, Chubb or Fitzpatrick. I mean, if we pick either of them up, I'm I'm going to be happy. It's just that um, a preference for James. Um, the only one that would make me go. Well, kind of uh, curse in a similar way that I did uh, last year when we had the draft and we picked up Peppers. Uh, you know, for five seconds I was I was quite pissed. Yeah, that people we were pretty irate about that. Um, you know, if if we pick up Barkley, uh, I'm gonna be the same way for about five seconds. But you know, um, it is what it is. Uh, it's just a preference, as I said. I mean, Fitzpatrick, I think he's great. Uh, I don't think that 
um, Greg, you know, Greg was had such uh, an idiotic system <laughs> last season that uh, that uh, some sometimes I believe that he was sabotaging the season because that I mean <laughs> in the in, in the Packers game there is a case third, to be made about this you know third and four and uh, you know just just getting myself mad but um it it didn't make sense and and remember when 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 he said before the Steelers game that he and his staff he challenged his sta- staff and they prepared for like weeks or months for the for the Pittsburgh game and it seemed like they they did a good job because they did pretty well against Pittsburgh but then they had the same exact game plan for every single game <laughs> afterwards I, I don't know what happened did they start work stopped working stop watching film or i don't know i mean you look at some of the decisions at the goal line on offense and then you know just some of the the way that we played teams defensively throughout the course of the year it it, it, so many times and i'm and we're coming at it's we're not saying this from the i mean the one thing we can say is that we're not really saying this from the stamp the benefit of hindsight because we were saying this all throughout the course of the year like why the hell are we doing the same thing that we're doing every week because it's so obvious what's like as the plays are happening we are predicting what's going to happen it happens exactly as we predict it's going to happen and they don't seem to ever learn from it. And it goes, I mean, then you consider that it's 1-31. in 31. And then you consider, I mean, okay, tinfoil hat time, but it's, you know, 1-31 happens. We are now sitting at the most cap space and the most draft picks in the history of football. Nobody has ever had this these kind of assets going into an offseason. And there has never been an offseason that combined with free agency and the draft has more quarterback options than we have. I, I suggested to Mrs. EZ the other night that there's almost no way we can screw this up, which, of course, uh, led to her laughing, you know, bursting into laughter at me, which is uh, absolutely the correct and appropriate response to that because <laughs> we will absolutely screw this up. But, um, but, I mean, in free agency, for example, you know, Kirk Cousins – is not only going to be an option, but we are really one of only a couple of teams that legitimately have a shot at him. Now, as uh, a scuttlebutt as of late is that the Denver Broncos are um, not in the running, but I, I don't believe that. I still think that that's where he's going to end up, and I could be wrong about that. We'll find out because we're what about a week and a half away from uh, free agency, and I'll have a programming note about that later on as well, but the – uh, likelihood of him coming to us, I think, is nil. The other, another team that's in um, consideration is the Jets because they also have, like us, a, a, a boatload uh, of cap space. Uh, people have thro- talked about the Minnesota Vikings. You know, they seem to have you know nobody currently on their roster and a Super Bowl caliber team uh, around them. Uh, with, I mean, okay, a Super Bowl caliber team last year with um, with Case Keenum at quarterback. And I still, I mean, I would be really surprised if they don't re-sign him. But, I mean, these are, uh, you know, as far as the guys that are on the list. Um, well, okay, before we get into the guys that are on the list, you know, what do you think are the odds of Kirk Cousins coming to Cleveland? And if he were, is that something that you're in favor of? And if, if uh, not, where do you think his most likely landing spot is? Um, I don't think that he's going to come here. I think he wants to have his cake and eat it too. So he wants both the gigantic contract and compete 
So um, we we only have one part of of that equation. So I I don't think he's going to, going to come here. Um, I, I I didn't even think about it. So free agency, I I really don't care about that. Uh, I don't care where he goes as long as he doesn't come here because I I don't quite want him here. So. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think. Do you not think he's a good just, quarterback? Uh, I I think he's decent. I I think he is kind of overrated by some. I think he is. I think he's decent. Um, good he... even. But um, uh, I would prefer if we found our quarterback of the future in this draft. Uh, that 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 would be my preference so I, I i don't really count with cousins i think if he's going any, anywhere and i don't really watch or know about other teams but um just based on on, on how he handled uh, the quarterback position in, in the past i think horseface wouldn't mind if uh cousins came to uh denver that's what i'm saying so that's that that would be my guess but i i don't know i mean they they i'm not sure they have this cap space or whatever that's that's really for the lawyers of dbn because i honestly i don't care about that part right and that's that's kind of the issue with them is that in order in order for us to get uh cousins we're talking legitimately a hundred million over three years that's 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 what it's going to take to to get him to come here uh, is he worth it for that? I don't know. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of with you. I think that he is. I, I would not consider him in the upper echelon of quarterbacks. Now, he, his his statistics over the last couple of years would suggest that he's certainly not far from that. I, I kind of look at it a different way. I mean, is he the type of guy that is going to be able to get you over the hump in playoff games against real, you know, superstar caliber quarterbacks? Because that's that is the standard that I want. I want a guy that can win playoff games. I want to win championships after you know going uh, one and thirty-one these last two years. And that's why I'm with you that I would rather get the quarterback because I mean, while you, you can, I mean, you certainly can screw it up. Um, and there's no direct – I mean, there is no formula that guarantees that a guy that you draft, no matter where – no matter how you do it, whether or not you are going to be um, uh, getting a guy – I mean, people complain about um, uh, you know, college offenses and so forth. It, it doesn't really matter what offense you run. It doesn't really matter um, build type. It, none of that matters. Good quarterbacks are rare no matter where they come from. And whatever their right. background is, they're they're just rare. Uh, but the one area that does be consistent and where you can get one is with the first pick overall. And so you know, while um, while my guy, of course, is uh, is Mayfield, there's there's four fantastic prospects that I think that are going to be available. So I'm with you that I would rather uh, go that route. And I just don't see that. You know, spending that. So, I mean, if if Cousins is the starting quarterback, I think that yeah, we're going to win games. You know, pretty because the rest of the roster is is not in nearly as bad a shape as um as is as is generally. Which I mean, it was understandable considering no wins last year. But then that go, kind of goes to the question. It's like okay, these schemes that we were running were almost intentionally designed for us not to succeed, and they were very easily you know figured out by our opponents you know all the time. So. 
you know, maybe that's you know that's a part of it, and maybe um, there, there some of that can be corrected. I'm not, you know, it's the time is going to tell on all of that. But the point is, is that we don't have at this stage of the game, we don't have you know a massive roster rebuild let uh, you know left yet to do. You put a, a, a starting caliber quarterback like Cousins in there, and yeah, the team is going to is going to perform and perform well right away, especially if Josh Gordon stays, you know, um, uh, uh, even keel and, and is in the lineup. And if Coco can um, get the drops, you know, problem figured out and stay healthy as well. Uh, Ninjoku coming back, that's, you know, Duke is, is still on. And there's, again, so many uh, offensive playmakers at the running back and the wide receiver position that it's going to be available in this draft. Uh, there's no reason not to surround a guy like that. But even beyond Cousins, who I, I just – I would rather uh, get a guy – that has more of because I don't think Cousins is ever going to be that superstar type caliber player at the Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, uh, Peyton Manning at his prime, uh, Brett Favre at his level uh, type player. I just and and I think that's what you need in order to win. Not all the time. I mean, the, obviously the Eagles just won with Nick Foles, but uh, in order to and, and and the Ravens won with Flacco. Uh, you know, true. He, yeah, things like that could happen. Like the. Um, Someone who is solid to good becomes really hot in the playoffs. I mean, I I can see Cousins um, going on a run. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, especially if if he has the right team around him. It's just that um, I, I would agree with you. I don't think he's the uh, special type of guy that I see some of the uh, prospects this year potentially becoming. So that's that's why I'd rather. I mean, I I wouldn't be devastated if we signed Cousins. I just I just don't think it's the it's the right move for us right now. Yeah. I think the right move would be you know Mayfield. If if there's a trade to six, then make the trade, select any of the three defensive players that we mentioned, and then just uh, go from there. And you know the the. Uh the idea of getting a number one quarterback overall I would think means that that is the guy that is going to be the quarterback next year beyond so I mean if you're going to get a guy like Kirk Cousins does that mean that you still draft a quarterback number one overall and that's a you know a a topic of conversation that we've had recently as well where um you know a a prevailing opinion was hell yeah you do that because you just increase your chances of getting a guy like that either cousins comes in and plays well um or he doesn't and you have a guy and it's a good problem to have if you got two quarterbacks that can play well and i understand that to an extent i also think though that you have limited amount of reps uh, at you know at the nfl level and thus you know i'd rather a guy be um you know, if, if we're going to get a guy number one overall, I want that guy to get all the attention all the time. I want him to get all the reps. I want him to get all the work with the quarterback coach. I want him to get all of the rapport with the wide receivers. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying you don't have, uh, you know, somebody around to be a mentor and so forth. But uh, And then there's people that even uh, are skeptical of that, you know, having any sort of bridge, quote-unquote, quarterback. I don't think that Cousins is – I don't think that you're paying $100 million over three years for a bridge quarterback. I think that what you're doing is paying – a more than double uh, example of what the Bears did this last year with Mike Glennon, where they they paid him what forty five million over three years, but they ended up paying him like twenty million guaranteed because uh, he only played one year and they let him go. 
But what the the strategy was is that Glenn, okay, which is a good uh, dovetail into this discussion about the quality of the free agent quarterbacks. Glennon generally was considered the best free agent quarterback that was available last year. So the Bears went out and threw a ton of money at him, and then they went and traded up with the Niners in the draft and got what you know who they consider to be the best quarterback available, Mitch Trubisky. So they went. They a, a, attacked the quarterback position about as aggressively as it was possible to do in one offseason. And in the process, and it really only cost them one year. In, for one year, they had to pay a salary of a top-tier quarterback. Now, they didn't exactly get uh, top-tier uh, level quarterback performance out of either Glennon or Trubisky. But Trubisky showed enough in his rookie season for them to say, okay, we're not going to dick around with Glennon anymore. We'll get somebody else to uh, uh, be the backup. And and we're done with Glennon and his contract. And so even though it was a lot of money at the time, they only spent a very little of that time paying him the money. And they were also and, and on the quarterback position. By the time, either way, even if Glennon would have been there all three years and it would have worked out, by the time that Trubisky gets to uh, negotiating his contract extension, if it gets to that point, if he plays well and earns it, then he's going to be getting, you know, 25, 30, 35, whatever it is at that time, million a year. And at that point, obviously, it's not going to make sense. But in the meantime, this is the point, is that in the meantime, you're paying, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 17, 18, 19 million dollars for two quarterbacks at the quarterback position that, you know, one of them may give you starter level capability and one of them may really take off. And hopefully it's your young you know, quarterback that you drafted. And if that's the case, yeah, OK, you're spending a lot of money on that guy, but you're hedging your bets. In our case, it's like going crazy with that concept and saying, OK, we're going to pay you you know 35 million a year and it might not work out you know because we're still going to take you know Mayfield at number one and if Mayfield beats you for the job you may be on the bench and if that happens which I mean whether or not we say that at the outset and whether that's even realistic of a conversation to have uh, during negotiation process um, it's still something that's got to be a realistic possibility for anybody like you know Cousins coming here not just because of our lack of success and, and team culture and so on but it, it, there is something to be said about okay we've got the first pick and the fourth pick and this quarterback uh, rich draft uh, why would I want to go there and even deal with all of that uh, so I think well, that it uh, makes I, I think I think uh, one uh, one of the places where you are wrong is that um, oh do tell if you if you dedicate all the reps to one guy then the other guy is not going to develop or whatever i mean Favre and brady were famous for hogging all the reps with the first team and and look uh, what players came from underneath them so to speak so i don't see that as a problem well, I mean, uh, it was also a different game back then because the uh, prior what do, to the, what do you mean? What do you mean back then? I, I mean, Garoppolo just. I'm, I'm saying that prior to the existing CBA, there was more of an opportunity for backup quarterbacks to get reps. There just simply do not exist the reps with the first teams that there were back when those guys were in their uh, developmental stage. And even the same thing is true with Aaron Rodgers, who came along several years after that. It's just a different uh, practice schedule. No, I, now. no, no, no. I think you're wrong. I mean, Garoppolo when he was drafted that. He, he, the uh, CBA was already in place, and he somehow became a franchise quarterback. That's despite you know having uh, uh, very little game action, and I would guess very little um, reps outside of when Brady was. Um, I think I'm going uh, to have starting to, quarterback. I think I'm going to have to see a little bit more before I declare that he's a franchise quarterback. He looks very good in his what six games or seven games that he started. 
uh, in the NFL. But I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite as convinced as are many that he's he's at that level. But he, he certainly is being paid like one. Uh, so yeah, sure. You know. And um, I'm just saying that um, you know that's uh, I think that's misleading to to think that just because some guy is hogging all the first team reps the other guy can't get ahead in his development well i mean i'm not saying that it's impossible i'm just saying that the the for me personally it's the notion that when you draft a quarterback with the number one pick overall that your entire like everybody from the from jimmy haslam down to the guy that is sweeping the bathrooms you know at the stadium at the end of the game everybody within from the, in between is on board with that guy development and on and that guy's development happening on schedule and with well you know that's 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 one thing but um you still you still have games to win especially for Hugh in 2018 well that's so, true that's why that's so why the, 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 the best of both you know, worlds is this draft Bayfield and win with rookie you know you 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 kind of have to balance these things plus I mean I mean uh, the Bears uh, picked up um, Trubisky at number two, right? So right. when he came in, he wasn't named the starter right away. So I imagine, uh, well, depending on who we pick at number one, uh, whoever comes in is going to face some competition. He's not going to give, not going to be given the reins immediately. And that's not just, not just, uh, in order to win games but um he has to earn the respect of the guys and i think that's important you 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 don't just plug the rookie in uh plus uh, think about what greg said although i'm not sure if you shares his opinion but you start at the bottom bottom as a rookie and then you work your, your your way up and um if uh, Miles Garrett had to work his way up, uh, you know, from uh, uh, the <laughs> the de- uh, defensive end room that we had, the bottom of the depth chart. Right. I mean, we had Agba, um, Nasib, and Orchard. Uh, Tyrone well, was on you the know, roster so I, I mean, I mean. Uh, I like I like these guys, but you know that's I, not that's not the stiffest competition. I think it's a different uh, 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 paradigm yeah, yeah, when you're right, talking about right, the quarterback right. position. I mean, I mean it's, a, it's a different position, but um, you know I, I think it makes sense uh, to especially I mean I mean quarterback is a leadership position. It's I don't think there's another position like this in any sports oh no no you because you've got to be able to i mean not only be a leader of of men but you've also got to be able to dissect complex defensive uh you know packages that are designed to stop you specifically and you got to be able to uh, perform a uh, a physical uh, feat of being able to you know throw the ball in between it's it really there's there is nothing like it for the mental and the physical um uh requirements of yeah and that the personality-wise, you even if you don't have it, you sort of. I think, at least I think that you have to fake it. You can't just let someone else be the guy in the huddle. Uh, you have to be the boss or yeah. the sheriff or whatever. So, uh, and it, I guess it's kind of tough if you don't have the kind of personality. 
if you are a shy guy like they say Darnold is and I don't want this to be kind of an anti-Darnold thing I'm just saying that it's it, it, it might not be the best to for or, or I should say it's it's harder for a shy guy to um, to kind of uh, assert his leadership in, in the huddle and in the locker room or whatever so uh, so so many aspects uh, I just remember my my uncle my late uncle used to be really 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 good at soccer and um, when he was 17 he was called up to the uh, first team the uh, uh, the first league team, right? Uh, back back in the uh, 70s, wait, 60s, that was exceedingly rare. Uh, and uh, he explained to me that uh, he just hated the locker room with the adults. And he hated it so much that his p- performance uh, plummeted and uh, 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 almost intentionally I would say and he went back to the guys that he loved to play with and um, I think these kind of things happen more often than uh, people would like to think uh, these young players from I would say a great environment most of the time come into a more rugged adult uh, kind of locker room with people who have been there for like 10 years uh, you know getting bold <laughs> <laughs> like our our uh, very own Joseph is getting I think he should cut his hair down by the way it looks awful <laughs> anyway anyway um um, yeah, so that's that's the part that you really can't predict how guys will react to the locker room. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know where we were before I got on this tangent, but um. Well, I mean, just talking about the the importance of the position and the various uh, and, and complicated right. skills that's required to be good at it. And right. you know, and and I guess that's a that's a perfect, um, which is why I mean, talking about you know whether or not I mean that's why we're talking about you know, possibly investing um, a, what, a full third of our available ridiculously available amount of cap space on the position and also uh, the top pick you know in the draft in the position at the same time because it's that important you know as far as uh, mentioning earlier about how deep this uh, that this position is this free agency period is at the position not just uh kirk cousins there's also i mean really a bunch of guys that are available sam bradford who was injured for the vikings last year is going to be available out there as is teddy bridge all three of those minnesota quarterbacks teddy bridgewater is going to end up being a free agent and that guy though he hasn't played in two years um is you know was a first round pick had a good year then he had the horrifying leg injury but has been cleared to play and so i mean if he's if he's you know it, he's, he's an intriguing uh, uh candidate as is case keenum who took the vikings albeit with a miracle play in the uh divisional round of the nfc championship 
Um, and there's a, a host of other guys that are that, – I mean, like I say, last year Mike Glennon was the top guy. And, there's, and of course, the, the one that everybody has associated with us is A.J. McCarron from uh, Cincinnati. And I think that, you know, it's probably not out of the realm of possibility, quite honestly, that he could end up uh, signing with us after we almost traded a second and third rounder to get him. Uh, if 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 that happens, I mean, and that seems like it's it's likely to happen. Uh, then at that point, that guy comes in, and I I, I can't imagine that the the locker room would be too uh, bummed if a, a rookie were able to overtake that guy at some point. I think, I mean, and generally speaking, I'm 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 kind of on the idea that I don't I don't really like the whole concept of a bridge quarterback. But also at the same time, if we are going to draft a quarterback, I I think I'd much rather. Um, uh, have as a our contingency plan Deshaun Kaiser because the guy's got a year of NFL starting experience running the offense. I mean, it'll be a different offense this year with Todd Haley, but he's got a year of NFL starting experience. He's 22. He's got all the tools you could ever want. Uh, and I think that if you know we we draft a guy or I, I would just I would I would much rather have as the other option see what Deshaun Kaiser was able to do. Uh, but I can understand definitely not wanting to have him as the first option. I guess if if McCarron's the guy, I'd really kind of want him to be the third option. Uh, but I, I just I, uh, I mean I mean first of all, it would be nice to have a quarterback in in our quarterback room with just a single win in the NFL because right now we don't have that. So well, we could get, having, we, we, having having a quarterback with just one win. We could bring back uh, Drago. We could bring back Josh McCown, and uh, he oh, finally got really? his first win in Cleveland last year as a member of the Jets after playing with us for two years. <laughs> Releasing McCown was, in my opinion, one of the mistakes of the uh, previous um, establishment. I should say. Uh, well, I, I think mean, McCown let's, let's, was was not just not just. Uh, good quarterback um well for 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 who he is or you know for for his position in the quarterback ranking so to speak but um a great mentor a great person and i think uh, although i've never been in the same locker room with him but i think he from from what i've seen uh from him he is just a great presence to have in the locker room and with the guys, so um, no, I, I was I was I was really bummed that we let him go. Look, and one of the, I, I was happy to see him shine a little in 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 New York, but um. Oh look, there's a there's a uh, Drago uh, a Lego Drago that Lego Man sent me for Christmas a couple of years ago. That is one of the few pieces <laughs> of uh, of uh, ornamentation here in the DBN Network Studios. But and, I mean, I love the guy. But I mean, before we move on, there's something very important that you said there about a mistake made by the previous um, I, I forget what you said franchise or what have you. But the um, it's the, I wonder very seriously when it comes to every single quarterback related decision that has been made since the start of 2016 actually since the very first one which is the releasing of Johnny Manziel okay I'm I'm genuinely curious what the because I I don't believe for example that any of them were made without Hughes full-on endorsement I don't for example believe that Sashi Brown made any of the decisions at quarterback without consultation and and perhaps even direction from jackson i just can't believe 
uh, I think you're right. Uh, one of the things that uh, and and uh, Sashi was very good with uh, giving answers and um, at the same time not giving away too much, but not really giving non-answers. Right. And uh, one of the things that he described is they have the board right set up they set up the board and then what they spend like weeks before uh the draft is that they go through a million scenarios so that they have a game plan for draft day and when you look at uh how they executed uh how they performed during the draft uh which at the time were almost unanimously praised uh, or, or mostly praised um, I think they did really well I think the problem was twofold one uh, we probably have shit scouts or I don't know but the boards were out of whack I don't think that uh, Sashi had the uh, I mean I can say I can say this for uh, with a hundred percent uh, so I'm not I'm not totally sure, but I don't think that Sashi had the ego to kind of overrule the board. But I'm I don't okay, uh, but, but I don't know that it comes down to be a function of ego. I mean, we're talking about a structure. We're talking about a team structure that involves Jimmy Haslam being at the top of it and everybody in there reporting directly to him. What I'm I I can't and with everything that is known about. You know, it, it's hard for me to believe that at any point in time, like if if the, if the question is Carson Wentz, I don't think that it's ever that I, I don't think that Sashi Brown ever had the the veto power to say to everybody else, look, I'm doing this. Uh, you know, come hell or high water, I don't care. In, in other words, it, everything had to have been a collaborative effort. The whole, you know, earth shaking under the ground for RG3 and the releasing of, I mean, if you remember, the releasing of Drago had to do with, uh, you know, they asked him if he wanted to be a coach and uh, he said no. And so they let him go you know, at his own uh, uh, wishes, basically. And that was something right. that there's no way that that wasn't done with Hughes, both knowledge and endorsement. And that's the case with all of these guys, as was borne out by, um, uh, you know, eventual ways that, you know, Hugh acted towards all of these quarterbacks, at least from the. Right. So, I mean, the, the idea that um, that 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 he wanted Wentz and we didn't take it or that they didn't know what to do and they just trusted Sashi. They all had input on all of this up to the very uh, last part of it where they wanted A.J. McCarron for a two and a three. And depending on who you talk to, um, you know, Sashi either sabotaged the thing or. Uh, couldn't save it uh, at the last second because it got botched, you know, by by other people, you know, going up to it. But it, either way, um, uh, I think I think you are right, and and this is something that I haven't considered really. But but the way uh, Haslam set the front office up, first of all, it's retarded. Right. Second, second, if if they sat down as a front office. And with, especially if Haslam was in the room during those discussions, um, that that kind of makes it difficult. If you, I mean, officially, officially, the situation was, if I remember right, uh, Sashi and Co. Uh, acquired the players, and 
you and the coaches decide who plays on game day but in practice this probably wasn't the case uh so not 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 really i mean there 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 had to be cooperation right and they had to discuss things and if there's one thing that you don't do in the nfl is that you don't pick uh a quarterback that your head coach doesn't want ray farmer yeah or any well, and these guys right. all came in at the same time. You know, Sashi became the GM, the executive vice president of football operations, at the same time that Hugh became the head coach. So at that point, I mean, and they were they were all part of the same process. Thus, they all kind of had to be, you know, on the same page with the whole quarterback conversation. It just it's it does it does not comport with reality to me. That well, th- well, what Haslam did is is he. Um, first of all, he didn't not re- learn the right lessons, uh, despite him like asking everyone, or maybe everyone who he shouldn't have asked. Like I don't know, I, I heard that he is talking to the MMBQ guy. I forgot his name, Peter something. Um, he has this ridiculous uh, structure, and then he fires the wrong guy right and then uh, he fires everyone and then he fires the wrong guy again <laughs> it's on it's on a it's on a loop uh, and it's been happening since he took over the team and you know and i i know people disagree with this i think pat Shermer could have actually ended up being a good coach after a couple more you know in, oh, in I, a couple I, more I even forgot uh, i forgot about Shermer. i was starting from chud yeah, well, I mean, he was he was the guy right before Chud, and he was his first game. Okay, Jimmy Haslam bought the team. The next week, Shermer uh, uh, beat the Chiefs, coached by Romeo Cornell and quarterback by Brady Quinn, beat him like thirty to seven with Brandon Whedon at quarterback. And oh, wait, wait, wait a second. The Chiefs reminded me of something. Um, just to illustrate how bad uh, Hugh Jackson was this year. Uh, 1978. Uh, the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs was Marv Levy. Oh, he was a fantastic and, coach. Yeah, uh, he had uh, such a bad roster on offense that he decided to use the wing T all season. The wing T, <laughs> and they won four games. Yeah, well, you know that, that's the that's the point. Is that imagine imagine how bad of a roster it had to be to go with an offense that they don't even use in college. Right, they could have went single wing, which is your uh, your your bread and butter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you know, I mean, um, that, yeah, which is to say that a good coach and Marv Levy was a great coach um, is going to is going to be able to get. I, well, the mo- although although I'm not, I'm not sure I'm not sure if he's proud of that decision that he made in 1978, but um, it's 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 one of my favorite little um, facts, if you like, of the NFL. Uh, I mean, we we haven't seen an offense uh, like that since I think the last team that used it was. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers in uh, uh, the 50s, perhaps. 
it's one of the great things that you can do is uh, get on YouTube and watch some old Browns games back back when we started in the 50s in 50 actually uh, our greatest rival uh, were the, uh, the Giants, Giants. Yep. and back then the Giants uh, ran the single wing for the most part and it's really interesting to see the contrast of the two teams although the Giants sometimes also use the uh, T formation but um well because if people don't know this the browns of that era were uh really pioneers of the passing game there i mean there were other teams that were doing it but the browns were by most standards a much more sophisticated passing offense than what the league what the rams were doing out in la was pretty impressive at the same time but uh yeah i mean yeah and it's 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 kind of weird that um the um the commission of the time uh, called out the Browns on their passing game when the 51, the 50, 51, and 52 Rams team was probably one of the best uh, aerial attack team ever. Norm, I mean, they had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks alternating. Yeah. Norm Van Brocklin uh, and Bob Waterfield. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, Elroy Hirsch it, and uh, they, they, they. Um, Imagine a team where in one year the top and the second quarterback play on the same team. That's how good they were. The all-time passing record for a single game is held by Norm Van Brocklin, and that was 1954. And it's held, so it's been over sixty years that record has uh, has held. But was you're, you're right. The Browns were the Browns when they entered the league. They had won every year of the old All American Football Conference, and which when, by the way count in the NFL. Which right, it's, it's when because uh, there were three teams that came from that league: the uh, Baltimore Colts and the San Francisco Forty ers that came over at the same time when the Browns joined in 1950. When they came over in 1950, their very first game was against the Philadelphia Eagles who were the defending world champions in fact I think it was their champion their last championship prior to this last Super Bowl win for them Uh, but they were the defending champions and the Browns went in there and just beat the hell out of them they beat them 35 to 10 I think the final score was and after the game the coach of the other team was bitching because we had uh, the sophisticated passing offense that they weren't used to so then they played them again later that year and when they played them again later that year the Browns shut him out uh, with running an offense without throwing a single pass after yeah, after uh, they complained about um, uh, passing offense in the first game. And of course, in I, th- those- I think I think the coach, their coach, was called Grease Needy or something like that. I'm terrible with names, but the coach, is, uh, their coach, was also like a famous guy, right? And, uh, a great well, ex player, I think. His, but Paul his, uh, Brown had gigantic balls to do that paul brown was i mean the the what people don't understand if they don't know the history of the browns i mean i mean it wasn't it wasn't just like a like a an easy road for them to the playoffs which was one game back then so the winner of the two conferences played one game that was the championship game Yep. If I remember right, so I think that, that was that that was risky. I mean, it wasn't like uh, you are fifteen zero, and then the last game you decide to uh, show the middle finger over to a team you hate. No, this was this game mattered. 
Oh I yeah, think. every every game mattered, right? Yeah, because they only played I think ten games in the regular season back in those days. Uh, twelve, twelve. In the fifties, twelve. I'll, I will take yeah, the word. Yeah, in the fifties, twelve. Okay, that's uh, so. I mean, they that team, that Browns team, quarterback by Otto Graham and coached by Paul Brown, and mostly running backs by Marion Motley, went to ten straight championships and won seven of them. And uh, and that was that was basically it. They they were still at the top of their game through the end of the fifties into the sixties and won one more championship with Jim Brown in uh, nineteen sixty four. And then they went to the championship game the year before the first Super Bowl was played. They lost, uh, but they were in the championship game the year before the very f- the first Super Bowl game was played. And yeah, we've, we've had, um, had three AFC championship that, games um, when 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 uh, that in, in the second. Super Bowl year, no, in the fourth Super Bowl year, when uh, the uh, Chiefs played the uh, oh, Vikings. That, okay, you're right. Hanks. The uh, Vikings beat the Browns in the NFL Championship game pretty bad, by the way. I think it was something like thirty-six to nothing or, or something ridiculous like that. But they beat us pretty well. And if we're talking about history, uh, I, I, I mentioned to you on Facebook that I wanted to talk about uh, the previous uh, teams that managed not to win a single game. Oh, right, because uh, in the uh, NFL, yeah, because there's if you go back deep into the NFL history, there's a lot there's a lot of defunct teams that nobody knows anything about. And yeah, the right. Browns, nor uh, the Lions, nor the Buccaneers in 1976 were the first teams to uh, go winless. There, there was yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, there uh, the when when the Lions went winless in 2008, that wasn't even their first uh, time that they went winless. I think the last time they went winless was uh, I don't want to say something. Uncor- uh, incorrect, but I think it was in '43 when they went 0 and 11. And uh, history is kind of repeating itself because uh, um, I think 10 years after they went 0 and 11, they went to the championship game, and the uh, circumstances are kind of and won it against us, by the way. Right. And the circumstances are kind of similar. Uh, it's 10 years after 2008 and there are some other similarities <laughs> you, you, so think, if, you, think, you think that the if, Detroit's a, a championship caliber team with, uh, <laughs> with Matt Stafford uh, uh, slinging it well you know anything can happen I mean who would have said before uh, the season that the uh, well I, I guess some people would have said that the uh, Eagles are going to win it but um, I don't think most people have thought that that's what's going to happen. Right. So I don't. I, any, anything can happen, and hopefully something like that would happen because I would hate the Patriots or the Steelers winning it again. I mean, well, I don't mind we, the Patriots we, winning it, and I, I would definitely not like to see Pittsburgh uh, doing it again. But you know, as bad as Owen sixteen uh, was, you know, I was really. You know, I, I was really, really hopping mad about it when it first when it happened, and then same uh, here. You know, and, I was and, pretty mad. You know, and and ultimately, I was mad at 
you know, um, a bunch of, you know, stuff that had happened in that game. First, I was mad. But then I realized I was really mad at myself for allowing myself to get that worked up over it because I shouldn't have uh, because this, you know, franchise has been a joke for as long as it's been. I mean, I, I, I let all that out um, after the, the final game uh, cast. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite podcasts that you made. <laughs> I, was, I, 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 I remember listening, listening to it at work and just getting riled up as you were <laughs> <laughs> i was so angry but you know after 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 you know kind of the dust settled a little bit and a couple of days went by i thought about, i'm like you know this we weren't it wasn't the first time this happened the, the lions went through this and nobody cared and so and, and first of all there's nothing you can do about it secondly yeah, when I, it when it comes to us it's like okay could it really could our could our prestige level have sunken any lower than it already was as it was i mean all right we lost every game okay that pretty much is consistent with what everybody's expectations was to begin with uh, yeah i mean there are there are franchises although defunct that have never won a single game in yeah. the NFL. I mean, there's one team, I forgot what they are called, but they went winless four seasons in a row. Uh, the first winless team in the NFL, uh, they went 0-1 in 1920. But they won their city's championship the previous year and then the same year, year two. That's... Uh, that's something that I plan to talk about later because the the story of these teams is just really fascinating. Plus, I learned that uh, I think the first time, first season where every single team played the same amount of games was I think in 1938. Uh, the playoffs were five year old at at that time, so it took that long to make the uh, I think 11 games that season hmm. for each team it, it's it's kind of fascinating how far we have come you know, and the league and, is about to turn uh, 100 years old here coming up yeah and uh, it would be nice if we could go through each year in kind of a 100 episode podcast perhaps that would, perhaps that would be too many because I mean some years there's really not that much to talk about but um it would be nice to celebrate uh each year and you know i i really appreciate the uh especially what george hellas did because um when you look at history it's it's kind of remarkable uh it, it was it was really close a number of times and uh i don't know you know when when i watch for example, Hall of Fame speeches. Um, a lot of people that should be thanked are not thanked. First of all, Teddy Roosevelt should be thanked for saving the game <laughs> way before professional football became a thing. And then, you know, I mean, when professional football started, I, but but I don't want to go on a tangent. <laughs> Well, you could, you know, what you could do is you could rev up the old fourth and uh, goal like we used to have at the very beginning of the uh, the network and do your own thing. I'm sure people would like to hear your 500 part uh, uh, series on the (laughs) the history of the league and uh, contributions by players like uh, or by people like Teddy Roosevelt and also maybe get into guys like Red Grange and Jim Thorpe and guys that were uh, instrumental to and and really actually, I mean, all that stuff is really interesting. Guys that were really incredibly proficient brilliant players that nobody knows about like Don Hudson 
and players that uh, performed at a, at a ridiculous level, but way, way, way back before, uh, which I mean, and that oftentimes gets discounted because it's just generally assumed that, uh, you know, that the athletes today are bigger, faster, stronger, and so on. But I don't care, man. Some of the, the, um, yeah, I mean, what, what you have to do is you compare the player to his peers. Yeah. And Don Hudson was so far ahead that it puts Jerry Rice to shame. Oh, I wouldn't don't agree with that at all. Cuz uh, Jerry the, Rice the, the the difference between Jerry Rice and the next guy is nothing compared to Don Hudson and the next guy. Well, okay, in his I'm saying I'm not I'm not comparing directly I, okay, Jerry I, Rice you're, and you're, Don Hudson. I'm comparing, you know, the two comparisons. Okay, so if there was a Madden in uh, 1944, then Don Hudson would have been 120, ranked 120 and the next closest guy would have been a 45. Uh, whereas was it, was it was it 44 uh it was that was that was about the the era of don hudson and uh mm-hmm. in, in that in that time okay. range okay uh he, okay. he played that, that could be i i, I sort of uh, he played okay. way back right. in the day but that's what I'm saying. I mean, a lot of that stuff is really interesting. So uh, certainly uh, people will be tuning in to hear uh, now because Forth has basically just promised to do this, that he's going to do this huge, uh, <laughs> uh, large you know, part you know what? You know what would be nice if if uh, if Chuck could get rid of the damn birds somehow? Yeah, he, he, he committed to the birds. I mean, it's, it's actually at this point, it's not even that he couldn't do it. He just is is committed to having them there. Uh, so, <laughs> I, you know, I, and look, I'm, I'm actually fine with having the birds there. I'd still like to have bring Maui Chuck back on here. It's, it's tough, though. I can understand people wanting to check out these last couple of years. That's why I haven't been as active um, even as I was last year in the recording and the writing. and Because, I mean, a lot of this stuff, and honestly, it's so much of it is speculation. You know, last year it was like we could kind of talk about what the strategy was going to be a continuation of based on what we knew before this year oh man how, how wrong we were well when you think about it t- to some extent just, just just imagine what we what we thought a greg is going to do well um, i mean some of that was realized but a lot of it that's see that's I, where I just, again i just the, I, just re, I just remember i think it was rufio who kind of looked at uh how much or, or how many snaps were played in a nickel with with five dbs and we uh, or, or maybe that was jd and we kind of expected that to be the case right all the speculation who Pepper. are going to be the the two uh linebackers and how the five dbs none of that right peppers was none going to be that. a slot corner and uh mccordy was going to play safety and you're right it, and then we ended up playing four three all year long <laughs> yeah i kind of i kind of imagined uh peppers when we drafted him to to be the guy who kind of slides back and forth between the front seven and did. the defensive backs. I mean, that that sort of made sense, you know, to uh, shift from attention? one to the other. Uh, I think that would have given us an advantage in uh, no huddle situation, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it... it, it... What, what do I know? Well, I mean, you're, you, you, what you, what you are saying is the same thing that every one of us were saying at the same time, which was why you know this guy doesn't appear to have a position. But looking at what he did, that one guy put out the video that showed what his strengths were in college. I was like, okay, you see what Greg has done before, and he would seem like he would fit kind of in that Mark Barron role. And so, all right, that kind of made sense. And, and he ends up playing free safety, the angel position, which isn't even free safety. It's like you know, forty-five yards off the line of scrimmage every single for the for the entire year. 
and it, yeah, it never seemed to make sense. And that that you know, kind of goes back to these defensive and offensive, quite frankly, decisions, formations, uh, you know, in clutch situation performances are just stupefying. Oh, oh my God! I mean, I mean, I mean, every single game, Hugh would come out with the. Uh, I don't. I don't even know what what the proper term is. One, but when they're they're where everybody is spread the hell out all over the place. The yeah, yeah, yeah. In front of the QB and and the tackles are split, and it never works. Right. <laughs> uh, the other thing is having the shifts. You know those those clever shifts. I mean, just send one guy in motion. You know, you, you don't have to. Sometimes, sometimes, I think people who think they are smart. Uh, I guess that's. I'm talking about myself too, but um, <laughs> people overthink things, and especially in football. I I remember uh, when I first started watching football. The first thing I did is I watched each America's Game episode, except for the Steelers one because they can f themselves. Word. But um, uh, I remember the uh, Cowboys episodes with. Uh, the players talking about how Landry's system was great, but really damn complex. And as soon as he simplified it, they started to really win. And that kind of stuck with me. And, um, oh man, I'm not used to speaking this much. But, um, uh, <laughs> You're holding up okay. You, yeah, you are way better than me at this. Um, I've been doing it for was, longer. Right, right. So, um, uh, this this kind of motif uh, repeats itself. Um, simplify it, simplify it. Uh, another thing, when they compared Landry to um, Lombardi, who had the simplest system and then got out victorious uh, from their encounters in the playoffs, um, I think there is something to learn there, you know, it doesn't matter how smart you are if the players can't execute your overthought bullshit. Yeah, it's best to keep the keep it simple. Let the players play, and uh, fire you. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been the guy that forever has been, you know, kind of preaching the notion of of continuity and uh, not blowing things up because you know by by blowing things up you went you end up kind of re starting the uh the clock on all of these guys that you draft you put you take guys that you that were drafted for certain roles they end up doing new roles because new guys they're not the, they're not their guys for the new guys that show up new guy shows up and wants his own people it it's this vicious cycle that we've been in uh, and thus I have been virulently you know just whoever it is give the guy at least three years all right well i finally got my wish on this uh, and, and and the guy <laughs> the that, worst yeah the worst time. exactly the guy <laughs> that we end up with it's like i like that's really the only the only part of this well there's two things either last year and the, the two years the last two years combined were just a really elaborate tank job and they're really and, and that explains why the odd ass formations at these weird times and all i mean like it either it's that um, I mean, I, I get what you're trying to get at, but i just like to interject that Hugh has been doing the same thing <laughs> with the Raiders, if I remember correctly. So he kind of stayed the same, and much to my surprise, I think Greg was doing the same with the Rams. So we, are, we have two 
bullheaded, stubborn, old bastards <laughs> who keep doing the same dumb shit that didn't work for them the, in the past years and they backstab the only, uh, not the only, but the smartest guy in the room. I think, uh, no doubt. Well, maybe Deep Depot. But anyway. Well, and um, you know, that's, that's the other thing, too, is we still don't really know. Uh, other than he's the, the, the chief strategy officer, we really don't know what actual role D- John... Well, I, 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 I think you can sort of... Uh, Spec. Uh, you you can always speculate. Well, but yeah, I remember, I remember when, when we first hired him, he alluded to something like, "He is there to improve our systems." Uh, that uh, maybe I'm not expressing myself. No, that sounds right. But, that's, that sounds about but, like but, what his lucid kind of uh, definition of what his role was going to be. Because if you look at the first draft, it was sort of very. I should, there was there was a clear sort of structure to it. They were you, looking uh, for high character guys with a big spark. Pretty big much. Spark. Uh, well, athletes with good the, character. The, the way I the way I see, see it. Sorry about the uh, hiccups. Oh no. Um, high character guys, uh, and the first round it has to have b- both. The sparky guy and the production. Yep. So high character spark production. And as they went down, they let go of either the sparkiness or the production. That's very accurate. And another thing they tried out is what if we take a position that is as terrible at producing NFL talent as the quarterback position, but less impactful. That's the wide receiver position. It's kind of the same uh, uh, rate of busts selected. Uh, or I, would, I should say kind of the same rate of of players who work out. Uh, I think uh, it's about 30% in the first round for both positions or something something similar. So they, what they did is they picked five wide receivers out of whom none seem to have been working out, really, although the jury is still out on some of them. Right. But um, Higgins and Coleman, you, basically. You, you saw a sort of structure thing, something that a guy like Depot could collect data or information from, something that Depot could improve. That's, that's how I imagine uh, his role. So, so we have we have our systems of operation, which he perfects, collects information, yada yada. Uh, so then, I don't know so, how. Well, then, if that's the case, right? If that's the case, then wouldn't that suggest that the way that we are going to draft, whether Meathead is going to be running it or not, doesn't really change because the systems are going to, as far as how we. Uh, go about. I mean, because because it was just Sashi that was let go. I mean, a couple of, of assistant coaches, but really everybody and uh, so a lot of players were added. A lot of um, front office guys were added. Uh, Wolf Highsmith. Well, and so on. well, we we added guys that can scout uh, well better than what we had previously. But Sashi was not doing the scouting himself, as far as I know. So he was just 
executing the the draft. Yeah, pu- yeah, pulling pulling the trigger, right? Doing the uh, and contract negotiation in yes, yeah. which he did fantastically. Right. So it, I mean, I can sort of understand firing him, but um, and not, you know, I can understand firing him if you're a dumbass. <laughs> well, uh, that, that, that's that, what I was trying to get at. That's that's definitely and, the the operator thing. I mean, I I I, I haven't wavered on this. I'm I'm I was furious when we when we fired him. It was a mistake. Yeah, same. And same. Uh, and and that hasn't gotten any better. I mean, look, if uh, and we affectionately refer to new GM John Dorsey as Meathead only because every time he speaks, he seems to to, to belie. A, am, I, am I the only one who thinks he looks exactly like Donald Rumsfeld? You've said that before. I I I don't see it um i don't know come on it, he, I, he put two picture put the two pictures they have differently shaped the two heads. guys i don't know they, it just, they, they it just kind of look the same to me just, I'm, I'm going to prove this with a collage but you know at the same time Next you know even though he may not be um and certainly you know compare you know sashi like you say was excellent when it came to uh, being able to thread the needle from a, a media standpoint and, and you know without really giving anything away but also you know not avoiding questions and you know uh, Dorsey is is definitely a little bit more ham fisted when it, with his approach to the whole thing, uh, but you know, you know I, I, I would have I would have understood if we demoted him to some it, other despite, yeah, yeah. yeah some sort of a vice president. Well, here's the thing: kinda... there's no reason that you couldn't have kept him in his exact position as you know executive vice president of football operations and then hire a general manager, which is what Dorsey is. And you just yeah, basically yeah, and, say kind of and kind of have the GM decide who the coaches decide who work under him well that okay now you're just talking about a a a full-on smart way of organizational structure i'm not getting that crazy (laughs) i'm not i'm not suggesting that haslam's ever going to get there i'm just saying that uh from the standpoint of here's a guy that clearly has talent he clearly has been able to uh i mean if if we're going to agree right that at very least there was input on the part of Hugh and Haslam and whoever else as far as what we do at the quarterback position. There's no doubt about this. That that there was more than likely there was collaboration as far as what the decision I, was I would, to do I on the quarterback say position. There's no doubt about it. I would put it as it's hard to imagine that not being the case right. that Hugh didn't have a major, major input exactly. on who we draft. So if that's the, now at the same time, I can also uh, concede that when it came to a lot of the other decisions, when it came to trade contract, who we keep, who we draft, all that, when it came to the other positions, that it probably was more of uh, Sashi's call. But honestly, there's not really a whole lot to complain about on that front because the guy basically filled every other position group, with the exception, as you say, of wide receiver. You know that was an abomination last year with uh, without uh, Gordon in the lineup. Up, although that had nothing to do with yeah, Sashi but, necessarily, but, but there's, uh, there's something Brits- that I just explained that it's it's surprisingly hard to find good wide receivers, and it surprised me when I looked at all the busts, all the busts in the past yeah. at that position. It's, oh well, it's, and, and our I mean we we have as an organization. I've been around you know this this team for 25 years. I remember us on our big uh, we drafted uh, Derek Alexander number uh, with the, with our first pick in '94, uh, and then we ended up uh, in '95. We spent in those days huge money on Andre Risen, and uh, thinking that it was going to get be the thing that was going to get us over the hump. And of course, we moved the team, so who knows? But yeah, and then you know drafted Braylon Edwards, and it, the the list is is legion. 
it, I, you know, honestly, it, it still to me comes down to the quarterback matters a lot, 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 lot more in that equation. But I've always been, you know, on that frame of mind. But last year with when you have a rookie quarterback that, yeah, he struggled a lot. Uh, he definitely had a lot of problems. But at the same time, when he would he, at the at the same time, he was the worst handled quarterback that I've or I should say this was the worst handling of a rookie quarterback that I've ever seen. I don't know if I go that far, but it was pretty bad. It, and, and it's certainly the worst that we've seen in, in a long time in Cleveland. And along with that was the fact that even when he even when he would make the right read, make a strong throw, get it on target, it was so many drops. And I am I am absolutely done with Ricardo Lewis forever. But, you know, he's another one that when he was drafted, there's Hugh out there talking about how fast he is and how excited he is about him. You know, Jabril Peppers is somebody that I think, you know, probably more more fairly than is normally done, uh, kind of considered a bust right now after a rookie season. Well, you go back and watch the tape, and Hugh and Greg and Tabes and everybody were all kinds of excited about drafting Peppers. So, I mean, obviously there was collaboration you know, that, that, on all that, of this. That was interesting that, that Tabes was the most excited. That should have been a warning for all of us. <laughs> I don't. I, I think that that guy gets a bad rap. I think that he was a much better uh, special oh, teams oh, coordinator. Not, than, not, 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 now you say that, that we hired an even worse guy well well to, to handle our special teams well there you go though i mean that's that's the that's the thing i mean if you have somebody that's that's reasonably good I mean, then you know you don't well he actually we didn't get rid of him he wanted to leave that that actually is a, is we, a telling thing there we, we we have a guy right now who was practically fired mid-game yeah after well we have a gm up, right now that so. we have a gm right now that was fired after you know in, in mid in mid mid season as far as you know their their regular season uh, gms are in the, the off season and the dude gets fired after uh you know making a move to get the chefs a, a starting you know franchise caliber quarterback which i think he did i think Mahomes going to be a, a star and kansas city is <laughs> going to have a deep playoff run this year with the kid at uh at qb Oh. Yeah, that, that was. The, I think that was an interesting decision because I really like Mahomes, but it was kind of an early decision. I, I mean, we don't see how the guy performs outside of that last game, right? Right. Uh, they had where he started, but for me as an outsider, that was kind of a risky move to let uh, Smith go and well, have the kid. The the, the Chiefs be, apparently beat the guy. That 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 was that for me that was a risky move. But And apparently it was done um, without like it, th- th- that was a situation where exactly the opposite of what we're talking about with Sashi where they were it was kind of him against the, the rest of the organization. Like nobody else was on board with doing this and he's like I'm doing it. I'm the guy. This is my move and he did it. Well, then oh he ends boy, up getting that, canned. That, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I mean, it could, it's good when it works out, but you know, it, it better work out. Well, and he didn't even get a chance uh, for it to work out, and so he becomes available. Uh, uh, Jimmy but, Haslam, but, you know, about Dorsey. Just sorry about interrupting you no, again, go ahead. but if you look at his Chiefs drafts, when which was I think the first time when he was really put in charge as the boss of a team, the first two drafts he did were nothing to be proud about not nothing really i mean if you put it next to sashi's the selections i don't think it was that much better now the third year that's that's when it that that was when it started to get really good and uh 
you know, I mean, if 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 Sashi could just have had this third draft, and if he screwed up, I would say, okay, let's get rid of him. But let's just, uh, I'm just, I'm just. Uh, it's disappointed yeah. that he didn't have this third year and i understand that uh um you know the picks didn't i mean that there's no uh there's no way around that that the picks didn't work out uh the way that we hoped but uh, to be honest i think it was one well, of so the mistakes far. that sashi had so far that's true but um one of the mistakes that Sashi had, That's actually a I think, statement to be was that he was too sort of uh, data oriented, where he he uh, as, as opposed to being felt, a football guy. Yeah, but but uh, you can err on both sides of the equation. I think, especially in football, which is really hard to quantify. But um, what I was trying to get at is, you know, there's this. Um, uh, idea that uh, you know uh, everybody makes mistakes you can't be absolutely certain so the best way to go about it is to maximize your opportunities which is right what sashi seemed to be doing uh, it almost felt like he didn't care who we pick to be honest with you but uh, i could be way off base but well, to but- me it felt like it almost didn't matter what the board looked like as long as we have 12 picks and as long as we manage them smart on draft day. Which seems to be, you know, about what we were able to do in both of those drafts where we drafted a bunch of guys while and bunch of guys high uh, selections while also acquiring picks in high selections for the for the following year and now we find ourselves with i mean a, an absurd amount of high draft capital and the ability to, to continue doing that next year which is i think the strategy to pursue i hope that we do that because exactly th- that is exactly the point that you give yourself more opportunities because everybody misses i mean everybody yeah. i don't care who yeah, it absolutely. is you take yeah. any gm and you look at their track record everybody misses and the idea was we're just going to maximize our shots taken to the point where last year I think you could look at us landing two good first rounders now we drafted three and two of them were good okay look that's a big win and then if you look the year before okay Coco may uh, he may not work out I'm not going to cast uh, final judgment one way or the other but Agba looks pretty good so that's basically we got a first rounder the year before I know he was uh, second rounder technically but he was pick number 32 so I'm going to count him that way point is is that's that's more return than we've gotten out of two drafts than uh, you name me a GM that's uh, for the Browns over the last you know 15 years it's gotten that much value uh, and that's not even to say some of the other selects not just the um the selections that he was able to amass with the crazy uh, osweiler trade and all of the the moves that he made in order to amass the the uh, capital that we have for this year but the actual players that we selected there's i mean the the nucleus of this team the trenches have been completely built i mean the offensive and defensive lines are ready to go the front seven on defense overall is uh, I mean it's when you're looking at I'm not saying that you couldn't have improvements everywhere and that should be what we do uh, predominantly in the draft but I suppose if there's some target free agents we can go after at the same time but there's not really when you look position group by position group areas of massive weakness other than uh, if Gordon's not going to be in there wide receiver um, the safety position uh, more importantly than anyone else obviously quarterback to some extent halfback and cornerback but outside of that I mean 
when, when, when you look at the team, the uh, positions where you have the most trouble are the two that are that are at least I think I'm not 100% sure but I think the two hardest to pick that's wide receiver and quarterback that's where we are probably well I wouldn't say the worst because safety is not the best but uh, in in the best shape but um, honestly we, we, we don't even know how good or bad our safeties are because they played in the parking lot right. in every game Yep, man. but that's, um because we have just a second because i drank a bottle of water while we were talking and i really well, need to go well, to the well, bathroom i'll tell you what let's let's go uh, let's go ahead and uh wrap this up because i actually have to uh bail anyway we've been talking now for oh. uh for, for for a while um and this is easy does it i am easy weave along with fortho here on the dbn network i want to make one uh, uh programming note we're going to be doing our draft coverage again this year which you can listen to along with other means via facebook live uh for the dogs by nature uh facebook page like it and then you can do listen to it and i'm i'm thinking that we're also going to do something on free agency day maybe starting at three o'clock in the afternoon where we uh, cover what is going on uh in the highways and byways of uh of the um the first day of free agency see what we actually do so look out for uh, that information but we'll we'll say goodbye for now uh fourth good talking with you it's been a long time and um it's been a pleasure man yeah absolutely and it's definitely fun uh, having you along here and he'll be on again soon uh, with uh, you know, as we as we do uh, more collaborative efforts, let us know what you think. Send me an email, easyweave at gmail.com, or just comment in the article section that uh, is going to accompany uh, this post. But good talking to you this week, as it is always. Uh, until then, good luck. God bless. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello. 
Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.